Welcome to the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Hagen, a nutrition coach, entrepreneur, food freedom expert, and forever a recovering disordered eater. I am here to help you own your enoughness, find your very own food freedom, and achieve your health and wellness goals in a way that gives more than it takes. Each week, I will provide you with insight and inspiration surrounding no-nonsense nutrition, mindset, motivation, body image, confidence, and other wellness wisdom. Hello and welcome back, my friend. If you follow me on Instagram at Nutrition with Nicole, you know that typically my workout soundtrack is some sort of podcast in the health and wellness space. My workouts are when I get to catch up on all of the cool episodes that I've heard about and read about all week long and didn't make time to listen to. So last month, to give you a little backstory, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Key Nutrition Podcast with Brad Jensen, and he had a guest on, his name was Clint, and he was the founder and creator of Behavior Chef. And Clint had a perspective that I don't hear often in the nutrition space. In fact, you really don't hear it much at all. (laughs) And I was so obsessed with how he was helping his clients to truly transform their behavior using his behavior analysis background that I reached out to him immediately and said, hey, can I take some of your time? Because I would absolutely love for you to share your knowledge and expertise with my pod squad. And he was more than willing. So I cannot wait for you to hear more about Clint and how applied behavioral analysis has actually helped him to create amazing results in his own relationship with food and how he does the same with his coaching clients. To kick us off, Clint, I would love first and foremost just to welcome you to the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom podcast. I feel very honored that you're speaking to me and you're on the show as a guest. So thank you so much for being here. Oh gosh, it is. Uh, when I say it's my pleasure, it's it's not just uh, saying I'm I'm very grateful to uh, to connect with some great folks in our space and to just share similar ideologies. So thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. I have been doing a little digging since Mm -hmm. I first was introduced to you on Brad Jensen's Key Nutrition Podcast. And then I found out you did a podcast episode with my former coach, Dr. Adam Feet. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, (laughs) oh oh man, Adam is a good buddy of mine. Oh, I love Adam. Have so much respect for him. He walked me through PN level two. Oh yeah. Then I went on to do an internship with Precision Nutrition. So he is just a gem of a gentleman. Love I actually him. saw that. That was back in like 2013-ish, 2014-ish, something like that for you? Yes. yes. Yeah, I did some digging too. You, you can't be a good uh, host or guest if you don't know who you're talking to, right? <laughs> exactly. You've got to do some of that creeping that we're so good at on these days online. I, I tend to call it research. That's what the internet's for. It's uh, a much more appropriate word. I'm going to start calling it research too. Yeah, you I like go that. for it. <laughs> I actually, I have, a, I have an episode uh, releasing at the end of May with uh, Dr. Greg Wells. Um, and Greg, uh, if you know or don't know, he was one of the key contributors to Precision's new, um, sleep and stress management, uh, course. Yes. And so, um, yeah, he, I, um, we've, it's pretty interesting. We've, we've built a pretty decent friendship with Precision. And so anytime they have somebody, 
um, you know, they, they want to feature on, uh, Jay is one of their marketing guys and shoots me an email and says, Hey, you have room for one of our guys. And like, of course, always. Yeah. Always. Yes. You just make room for them. You make space for them. Absolutely. So that's going to come out, uh, the end of May and it's an awesome conversation. So, uh, uh-huh. Not the plug, but the plug. Go ahead and check that out at the end of May. Plug away. I can't wait to listen. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So, Clint, for everyone who hasn't been doing research on you yet, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where are you geographically? What are you into? Give us the, the background. Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Clint Evans, and I guess I'll start with, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, so I'm in the central time zone, and um, I am, I hold a couple of different certifications. Um, the biggest one is I'm a board certified and a licensed behavior analyst, so um, I have a master's degree in it's really a niche. You talk about being a podcast and having a niche. It's a niche corner of psychology. So we are behavioral scientists who use uh, behavioral psychology and science together to make data-driven decisions to help clients change behavior. And typically, uh, so I have a master's in applied behavior analysis. And if those of you would know a little bit about psychology from your like undergrad you know, psychology course, the guy that's attributed to my area is B.F. Skinner. Um, he did a lot of the stuff with like the pigeons and taught him how to like peck a button to get food, that kind of a thing. So it's, um, it's a, yeah, I can get nerdy on that, but that's kind of where we come from. And then I started working in education because we work, uh, I currently work at a, my full-time job is at a school for, um, special needs individuals and, um, children, well, children and adults, adolescents who have, um, several educational IEP needs. So, um, that's my day job and the co-host of my podcast is the same thing. And then we own behavior chef, which is a, uh, we're also precision nutrition level one coaches and we use our nutritional coaching and the nutrition science. And then we marry that with, um, we like to call it, um, behavioral flexibility. And so we use our science background in psychology to help people, our, our little tagline is to reframe their relationship with wellness. And so that's kind of our dig there. And uh, what I'm into, I have a son who, as of the recording of this podcast, is 10 days away from being one. Yeah. So my wife and I have a pandemic baby. And uh, it's, it's all the feels. It's amazing. My wife is uh, just the best supporter, an awesome wife, great mother. And she, um, you know, we've had some life changes ourselves with, uh, I, I switched jobs when my son was born and Behavior Chef began to take off a little. And so we're working on building that out as a full-time business. And she is now, uh, she's a counselor and she switched from being a full-time counselor to a stay-at-home mom. So we are, uh, life is in the throes of, of some awesomeness. Uh, that is so cool. You've had a lot of transition over the last year, it sounds like, yeah. as a family. Absolutely. Oh, I also, uh, so I have a, an undergraduate in um, behavioral psychology and theology. So I, I've i been for the last six years ministering a small church uh, in my area. So I, I kind of do everything, but that plays in, the spirituality side plays into the psychological side and they, they, they marry together very well to, to have a well-rounded approach. So that's, that's how I approach my clients as far as uh, not, not necessarily from the theological standpoint, from the spirituality of like knowing that there's more to you than just 
a, a scale or a diet plan, you know? So we, we work on people's wellness as far as inside and out to help them achieve goals that they didn't even know they had. I love the duality of your coaching philosophy. And to be honest, Clint, I think it's what drew me to you initially because my undergrad is in health psychology. And then I went on to get my master's in nutrition and public health. And I chose not to go the dietetic route because I felt as though what most people needed more of is not nutrition education so much as help creating true behavior change and helping to realize like, why the heck do I do these things even when I know they don't serve me? So just to hear you speak on that background is it's like music to my ears. But for everybody listening who maybe doesn't know a whole lot about behavioral analysis, can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly that is? Yeah. Um, Behavior analysis, simply put, it's the psychological science of human behavior. And so we use two. So typically when you think of psychology, you think of feelings and emotions, um, which are all valid pieces. Um, Just to put it in perspective, our science calls those, um, they call them, oh gosh, what's the word for them? Drawing a blank on the spot. Um, We call them private events, meaning that they're not observable. And so I can't see your thoughts. I can't see, I can see the behaviors that your thoughts may bring. So I can see if you're crying. I can see, I can see your face scrunch. I can see you, I can measure your respirations. I can measure your skin temperature, you know, all indications of a stressful state. So we end up looking at the tangible part of human behavior. So behavior analysis is literally the the nerdy term is behavior is anything a, an organism does in space time. And so, um, putting it in nutrition, it's any behavior, anything that I do that uh, relates to my nutritional habits. So if I, uh, for example, people, you talked about these habits that don't serve me. That's a huge area that we undertake and we dive into the why. Not the why um, you need to change them, but why do you do them? And how can you make them serve you? Because you don't necessarily need to change them. You don't need to replace them. You just need to make them work for you. And so we look at, um, a lot of the times we look at like stressful eating, right? Everybody's got that favorite stress snack. And then you and I know, um, like if, if I'm stressed and then I'm not sleeping well and my hormones are off, my cortisol's up, my, my, um, my taste buds are wanting other things due to those cortisol pushes. And, you know, I reach for that bag of potato chips and I don't know why at work when that person walks in my office, I end up doom scrolling or, you know, snacking on that thing that I didn't want before they came in. So we dive into the specifics of, uh, data driven behavior change. So we would take data on before, during, and after a specific context, And then we're able to see some uh, environmental triggers like, hey, someone walked in the room that you have a bad relationship with. Um, You know, you got really stressed. You started eating something that you didn't normally like. It wasn't in your plan for the day, which is fine, by the way, but wasn't in your plan for the day. And then afterwards, uh, you felt guilt or shame. And so then we work on reframing that emotional piece through um, practical behavior change. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So that sounds like it is very complex, but in 
practice. <laughs> it's a lot easier in practice, I promise. Yes, I, I believe you. So to take us back one step, Clint, you mentioned how behavioral analysis can apply to nutrition. Why did you decide to mesh the two? I know a little bit about your personal story, but what served as the catalyst for Behavior Chef? Well, um, both both my personal story, if you if you heard my episode with uh, Key, I, um, I'm very open about the fact that I've, I've lost a hundred pounds a little more and, you know, I've kept it off and I'm still, I'm not, I'm not an ideal, you know, I'm not a physique competitor. I'm not, I've done strong lift, strong man lifting type stuff for a long time. And, and now I'm just having fun lowering my body fat percentage to healthy ranges. Everything about me is healthy. Uh, doctors, blood work, all that stuff is, is good to go. And so I'm just working on some pieces for me to see what I can do. And I think I, I like to share my story um, honestly, because I feel like I am the everyman, if you will. I'm the person that, you know, I, I am a recovering yo-yo dieter. Um, I have suffered from orthorexia. I have suffered from disordered eating. Not necessarily, I've never been diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I, I choose those words very carefully. Um, so disordered eating is just the concept of, you know, it's, it, it leads, it's kind of a precursor to those diagnoses of, of eating disorders, if those of you may not know. So there's kind of the difference there. But um, all that together, that story of mine, and then my in my field, when I became certified. Um, so we go through our master's programs, we do a uh, internship, we write a thesis, and then when we finish our hours, we have to sit for a board exam. And when we pass the board exam, we're finally licensed. Well, we're certified, then we get licensed, all that great stuff, all the minutia. There it is for you, just so you know how crazy it is, because it was a long, long journey. And I know you understand with some of the stuff that you've done, um, those kinds of things. But once we get certified, kind of a lot of these social media groups would open up to just the certified folks. And so I started looking for those like, hey, uh, what about fitness? So there's a bunch of stuff out there for fitness. And I just started thinking like, you know, nutrition is arguably more important than fitness. Arguably. It's a, it's a, I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole, I'm sure. But if I'm, if I'm working out and I'm not fueling the body correctly, it's, it's not going to be optimal. And so I created a thing called Behavior Chef uh, sitting at my kitchen table on February 14th, 2019. And it was a meme page for specifically to ABA, to Applied Behavior Analysis. So I started creating memes that were really, looking back now, they're funny to me, but they're really nerdy because they use very big uh, ABA terms. So I wanted to be like, you know, I wanted to stand out in the field. And then people started noticing. Uh, people from our field started asking, hey, what what is this? And my answer initially was, I don't know. <laughs> I would initially like to do some consulting. And then we started a podcast and started social medias, uh, medias, plural, you know, we're on Instagram and Facebook primarily. Facebook group came along, website came along, precision came along. And now we've got one-to-one coaching we've been doing for a little over a year. And we're right now we're in the middle of um, running our pilot cohort for a six week course we've created to give the framework you talked about the complexity down to practicality we have condensed that complexity down to a practicality of a framework that anybody can take and use for any of their, basically it's a blueprint for any behavior change, but we make it specific to nutrition and then you can take it and apply it to other things. So we're piloting the first round of that right now and we'll be selling it, uh, you know, as we finish it up and probably towards the end of the summer. But it's really been, when I say it's been quick, it's been 
been pretty quick for us. So it's been a blessing. Wow. Okay. So I can't wait to hear about the results from your pilot study because that sounds like a very cool course. Yeah. You and me both. Uh, <laughs> I'm very excited. I can't release the name or anything yet because we have an NDA in place right now. Um, you know, we're keeping everything under wraps, but maybe I can do a, a follow up or I can have you on ours as well. And, and we can uh, uh, kind of talk about it after it's it's finished. Um, I'd love, I love to share that. that with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're doing right now. That's how Behavior Chef came to be. And that's where we are as of 2022. Well, congratulations on that Thank growth you. because that's, it's no small feat. I understand. And as someone who also like has a different full-time job and a family at home, like kind of cultivating this environment online and that, that roster of clients, that's impressive. Yeah. Well, I, I know, you know what it's like. Um, I've seen your, you know, your LinkedIn is very impressive and um, I just saw a video recently of your win with Debbie, one of your clients who uh, I loved her phrasing of, I basically, I wasn't eating enough and Nicole put me on a reverse diet and I ended up losing weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's what we do. We end up, we call it incremental adjustment. So I take, I, I, even in the verbiage we use, we remove diet um, because of the psychological trigger that can be for people. So that just, just to the care that we use in um, most of our language is geared towards person-centered psychological change. I want to hear so much more about that. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to put your coaching hat on for a second, sure. which I'm sure is, is always on. It's oftentimes just kind of, yeah, <laughs> how we live and operate as coaches, yep. but a couple of popular things that I know my clients struggle with and yeah. potentially your clients as well, that I would love to just pick your brain about. And the first is when someone says, I know what to do. I'm just not doing it. Mm. Why is there this gap between the knowing and the doing? And, you know, what is that all about? We know what we should do, but we're not actually able to take action towards those things. The easiest answer is called response effort. And the layman's term for that would be it's too hard. Uh, and what I mean by too hard is you're biting off too much. Mm. You know, stud studies suggest that over 80% of people that lose 10% of their body weight gain it back plus a few within a year. And so if we have all of these people being able to diet and showing that they can achieve behavior change, then what's the problem? And so I, I, we boil it down to two things. Um, lack of, of reinforcement uh, in the current uh, climate, you know, whatever you're working on now. Um, well, I guess three things, lack of reinforcement, um, unrealistic ex expectations, and no replacement behavior. No new behavior. So we sum that down into two questions. When someone comes and says, I need to lose 30 pounds. So our first question is, whose idea was that? And our next question is, then what? Uh, when you get there, what are you going to do? What will change for you? And usually it's something, uh, and these are all great responses. It's not like there's a right answer, but it's always like, I'll feel better about myself. Well, are you sure? You know, you go ahead and you know, we can link you to studies to several people that have lost, have gotten to sub 10% body fat, who have taken photos, who have done shows and have felt more empty than they ever did. And they want, and then it, it becomes more confusing because it's even more dangerous because then it's like, oh, I achieved this goal. Why don't I feel good? Right. And it's because there's something else missing. So that's why we use the, the phraseology of reframing a relationship because the relationship with food is one that is the most, in my opinion, is the most personal relationship that we have. Um, food is a necessity that we have to have and we can't live without. And food is associated with everything throughout 
human history, arguably the most important behavior in human history. I mean, we have passed down oral traditions, treaties have been signed, wars have been stopped, you know, all over a meal. And even now in most, in most uh, cultures, dinner is, uh, you know, this experience. It's almost a spiritual thing. If you've ever traveled and, and you know, eaten a cuisine different than yours and heard the stories of how these things are made, it's, it's this deep experience. And we wonder why it's just a piece of bread. It's just, you know, a, a dish, but it's, it's not because there is human interaction. There is story and senses. So, all of those things are deeper and more important than we realize. Food isn't just fuel. It is fuel. Food isn't good or bad. There are no moralities when it comes to food. Um, food at its basic core is just nutrients for the body. But it's so much more than that due to the psychological component of the senses and the relationships. So the relationship with yourself and food is so much deeper than just, do I choose the fries or the sweet potato? <laughs> you know, well, which one do you like? That's the question. Do you like French fries? Have you tried sweet potato fries? No, give those a shot. See if you like them. You know, the, the first step that we do in that situation, um, I'll, I'll give you a, a live example of like someone I recently, uh, I recently worked with. Um, this person came to me and said, I, um, I know what to do, which they did, but I don't do it because I haven't done it in so long and I'm afraid I'll fail if I keep trying. Valid point. You know, it's very honest. Thank you. So we get to working a little bit and we start tracking a baseline of their daily intake so we can look at where their calories are right now before we do some sort of adjustment. And I just have them, I said, Hey, all I want you to do is track what you're eating. It's not, you know, indicative of where you need to be. It's just where you are. And so I get a few days of tracking and then nothing. And then we talk about it and, you know, the, they did a few days. We got enough to get started and they were up there. Not a big fan of, of tracking. They're not wanting to fail. Totally understand. And then um, we uh, we start with a macros-based approach. That's what, what we do. And we start tracking on a new goal and I get no input. And so we I talked to them in our next meeting. And they said, you know, it just, it wasn't, it didn't feel right. I said, that's, that's completely fine. That's the honesty I'm looking for. So what we did do is instead of ask, so I asked is it too much. So instead of tracking every day, we, I just said, pick two days of the week that are less busy and track those two days. That's all I want you to do. And so we did that. And then we went back and looked, I asked how many partial days did you track? And we looked at that. And so we highlighted in the little spreadsheets we use that not only did you track two days, but you partially tracked seven out of the last 14. So what looked like no data was a lot of data. It just wasn't complete. And so I got an email from this person just the other day saying, um, not only am I tracking, but I purposely went for a walk uh, to walk my dog to increase my steps. And I did it because I wanted to. And the big deal with that was the first time we met, they said, uh, that they were afraid to fail. And so their, their brain stops them from doing it. And now it, with just a few weeks of this approach, they've been able to say that not only am I excited to do it, but I'm doing it because I want to. And That's amazing. The, yeah. And the, the biggest point for all of that is the difference. I think that sets us apart from anybody else that I know of is we dive into something we call values inventories. Mm -hmm. And so in a behavior chain, right, you have, um, you have a essentially a behavior and a consequence. Um, you do something, you get something. And we like to take it one step farther and look at the why you do something to get something. 
And so what is important to you? Like, for example, if I want to lose 30 pounds, why do I want to lose 30 pounds to look good in a bathing suit in June? There's nothing wrong with that. If that's really your, like, what's important to you right now? Yeah, let's, you got a big vacation coming up. Let's work on it. For me, I'm not so much worried about what the scale says as far as body fat percentage because of studies and longevity, because I want to be healthy and around for my son. So family is a huge goal for me is a huge value and it drives my everyday decisions because it's the most important thing to me and so when you look at weight loss within family and i want to incorporate them and so it doesn't just look like i need to go on a diet like dad's going on a diet again right no it's how can i incorporate my family to make healthy meals at home right so when then we look at that we end up doing like my wife and i sit down every weekend and we do um, a weekly menu our lunches stay the same our breakfast stay the same but they rotate based on our current preference so like what are we what do we like right now what am i craving for breakfast is it sausage this week is it bacon is it so we look at that and we get those things and dinners are a rotating menu of five meals and those five meals are based on what we want right now. So I want pizza, burgers, hot dogs, whatever, you know, brats, uh, whatever the season is, we pick five meals. And the key, again, all it's all behaviorally driven. So we buy those five meals. They're not contingent on any day. So we don't do like Taco Tuesdays. If I want tacos on Monday, I can have tacos Monday. But all of that meat and everything stays in the fridge. So I have to cook it. So when it comes time to cooking it, I am less likely, since I'm frugal, <laughs> I'm less likely to order out versus like instead of buying Taco Bell, I have this stuff for tacos. And if I don't use it, it's going to go bad. And I, I want to escape the potentiality of feeling like, oh man, I bought that and wasted it. So therefore, it sets up my environment to go ahead and cook it. And that's, I know that was a bit long-winded, so I'm sorry if you stayed with me, you get a prize. I'm going to give you a little clap. <laughs> I'm going to reinforce you for staying here, but that is a kind of a look into what behavioral psychology can do for our nutritional habits. If we break it down to the very, very, I guess, molecular levels, if you will, of psychology. I actually really enjoy the value-based part of that response, Clint, because I think that's something we don't hear often. And correct me if I'm wrong, but in my brain, it makes sense that if we're acting more closely in alignment with our values, then our outcomes from our behaviors are going to be more sustainable. Absolutely. That's exactly the model that we use. So during our intake assessment, we have a pretty extensive intake assessment. That's not just, you know, your, your nutritional stuff, but we, um, there's a, a website that we use that does a values inventory. So we have someone take a values inventory and then we come in and our first meeting, we don't do anything, but look at the values inventory, get a baseline for macros. And then just, I get a feel for the things that they want to work on. And then the next time we come in, we look at what they said they wanted to work on based on what their value said to really see if that matches. And then we create a long-term outcome. So what do you want for your life? Like what, what change do you want in your life? And so if it's family, I'll stick with the family deal, right? So I want to be around for my family. Family is the value. So I have the value. I have the longevity piece. And then now we set short and long-term goals based on those. So it's kind of four things, values and outcomes are the bookends. And then we have a long-term goal. Let's say I want to lose 30 pounds. And then we set that short-term goal of um, two to five pounds you know, or I want to change the scale. So we put the scale away and we use a replacement. Um, like I, I like to use something of a fellow coach that I, I know, uh, Kelly Killen, she uses the term barometer clothing. And so what we'll do is we'll choose clothing that doesn't quite fit, but we want it to. And so what we'll do is we'll start 
weighing in with that shirt on and taking photos. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll replace the scale with just the shirt. And so it's called, uh, we call the unpairing. And so you might know like the Pavlov's uh, dogs thing, you know, the bell, the salivating, the, it's the same concept where we're unhinging one thing that you think is important and reattaching something that is important. So when you see that thing, the scale no longer has this pit in your stomach response. Now it's stuck to, Hey, I lost weight without it. So now it's just data. Wow. Okay. So that's new to me. The unpairing I'll have clients. We choose different metrics based on what they feel most comfortable with, of course, but we'll use barometer clothing and potentially girth measurements, progress photos, the skill, but I've never done the weigh in with the shirt on and then, you know, eliminate the skill as sort of the unpairing. I love that though. Yeah. Give it a shot. We, uh, we like to do that on the comfort of the client. Sometimes we'll start in and just, I'll say, take your scale and put it out. Like we'll do a, a, you know, an assessment on a, a Likert scale, one to 10. How many times, or actually my first question is how many times a week are you weighing in? And when they say every day and we're not seeing any discernible change, then I know we're just going to start with barometer clothing and say, Hey, can you back down to four times a day? Yes. Okay. So four times a day, we're going to do that clothing on the fifth day. We're just going to do clothing. And then the next week we'll back it up three days, two days, one day. And, uh, along that way where there's a psychological framework called acceptance and commitment therapy. Well, the framework, sorry, the framework is called uh, relational frame ther- uh, theory that everything that we do in life is like a picture frame and all these picture frames interconnect. So every picture touches. So sometimes a picture bleeds into another picture and it distorts the original picture. So what we have to do is kind of take those pictures down, change the frame and put the picture back up to where it's in its proper place. Mm. And so that's I like that. That gets really deep. So I, I try to, um, I know I, I'm not on a nerdy, I mean, this is a nerdy, but awesome podcast, but I'm not talking about behavior analysis in its deep form. So I try to keep it as light as I can. Cause it's a really heavy topic. The, I understand. The, I guess the, the, the word for it, if you're listening and you're interested to know, there is so most people would be familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy to where you learn to face something and go through it or around it. Um, you know, some psychological stuck point. Um, and acceptance and commitment therapy uh, made popular by Stephen Hayes. He um, basically says that those thoughts will never leave. And no matter what you do, even if you go through them, they'll recur. So what we have to do is pivot into them. And so it's essentially the, 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 the goodness, the exercise that I like to use is to pretend like, like close your eyes and think that you are uh, in the audience of a play. And so when you're in the audience of a play, you know, the etiquette, you're not allowed to talk to the actors, right? You, you're quiet, but on the stage are the thoughts running through your mind right now. And all you're doing is just observing. And practicing this for like three, five minutes at a time, it promotes mindfulness just so you can get to the point of present moment awareness to where, oh, I'm having the thought. So instead of saying, this is kind of the outcome for it. So instead of saying, man, I am, I'm fat because I just ate all that food. Now we know that we're not going to gain a hundred pounds by eating an extra slice of pizza, but getting to psychological flexibility allows us to say something like, I'm having the thought that I'm feeling fat because I'm having this. And there's a difference there. There's a disconnect. There's a space between you and the thought. The thought still exists, but it's not connected to your worth. And that is what we found to be the key to any of these changes. 
Mm, so it's really helping clients to identify that, first of all, not everything I think is true or has any yeah. like sound logical support, mm-hmm. but then also I am more than just my thoughts. Oh yeah. Yeah. Your thoughts serve you. They don't control you. Um, Steve Hayes uh, deems it the dictator within. So we have this dictator within us that tells us that we're good, that we're bad, but it's our voice, but it's not us. Right? It's just a culmination of negative experiences that we've had through life that are paired with specific times and, you know, like food, right? Pizza can be one of those things that's either great or bad for you, depending on your relationship. If you're trying to diet or you read a lot of books in third grade, you know, and get the personal pan pizza from Pizza Hut, that was me. And so that's why one of our taglines is eat pizza, take data, because you can do both. I've lost a hundred pounds and I eat pizza once a week, at least. So it's not undoable, but we need to learn that flexibility within ourselves before we can tackle these or while we can tackle these big nutritional goals. So this is, is kind of a great opportunity talking about, you know, I am not my thoughts and we get to be that. um, What was the word you used? The The dictator within dictator within. Yes. Perfect. So when a client, let's say identifies that now they have these healthy behaviors that are in alignment with their values, but maybe like they're going through a really high stress period, or maybe there's some trigger of some sort. And all of a sudden they slide back into old comfortable behavior that maybe they've been participating in for years and years or decades. Even sometimes those thoughts can very quickly snowball into I'm an epic failure. I'll never get this. I've fallen off the wagon, you know, one too many times. What's the point anymore? Uh What can we do in those moments to help understand that going back to old comfortable behavior is not the end of the road. Like it's not failure at its finest. It's part of the process. Reframing the relationship with failure alone can fix that. And so um, one of the phrases that we like to use is the fail forward. Um, So when you fail, Skinner himself said failure is nothing more than an opportunity to learn. And so we need to look at that as, and and that comes from the coach too. It comes from the environment that you and I create where uh, our, our coaching is based solely upon reinforcement. We don't, uh, when someone comes in and they've had a a rough week, I don't say, why didn't you track? How did you, how come you didn't track? We start off every session with a non-scale victory Uh, has nothing to do with the scale or what we're doing, just something that's going on in their life, just to start programming that thought that this is just a part of my life. This isn't my life. And to get that dissonance um, is is huge. And so when someone slides back into an old habit, um, that's where we like to look at, like, I mean, we'll let you, it's kind of like stay there, but don't move in. And so when, when you, that's another thing that tells me that things are a bit tough right now. So then we, we back off and we can use nutritional science to say that, Hey, like your body cares a lot more than day to day. Isn't a big deal. It's more week to week that your body cares. So if you're in a surplus for a couple of days, that's two days out of the week. Great. Five days out of the week, you've, you've done great. So what we end up doing is focusing on the positive instead of the negative. So we don't focus on, oh, you failed. Well, let's look at the other 15 days in a row where you killed it and you had a rough day and it was a bit hard on you. Like, let's let's be realistic. You aren't failing. You're on a journey, right? Even you see marathoners after the marathon, right? They're not in good shape. <laughs> they're, they're busted up, and but they're elated for finishing. And it's the same thing here. Either, either sprint or, or marathon, there is wear and tear along the way. And so... 
anything we do in life has, you know, those pitfalls and we end up teaching or hopefully teaching by the time that we're done that it's okay for you to fall. And the important thing is to get back up, not to bounce back up and not assess, but to get back up when you're ready. And that's, I think that's the biggest thing. So I, I'm not the one telling you to get back up. You're the one giving you permission to get back up Mm. because you're also the one telling you to stay there because you deserve it. But what if you told yourself that you deserve to get back up because you've been running this whole time and you actually enjoy it? I also hear you saying, and your, some of your Instagram posts have kind of supported this and you alluded to positive reinforcement. So I think one of the, the slipperiest slopes that we can quickly fall into when we quote unquote fall off the wagon is, well, now I need to do better. I need to be extra strict. I need to exercise more tomorrow, or I need to cut out carbs because I overdid it tonight. And that's more of a punishment versus reinforcement yep. mindset. Ab- absolutely. You got it on the head. That's perfect. Tell us why punishment isn't the best option in those oh, instances. <laughs> I get so excited about this topic. So I'm going to get nerdy for like three seconds and then break it down unnerdy. Okay. So why I get so excited about this because punishment and reinforcement are two classes of consequences and there are two different types of each one. So there's a positive and a negative version of each one. Um, Positive punishment is the addition of something to stop a behavior from happening. So it could be that, that negative thought that just keeps you stuck there, right? So you eat bad and that thought comes in and it's just like, you're terrible, you're terrible, stay there. Negative punishment is the removal of something to stop a behavior from happening. So that looks like I ate too much today. Tomorrow I'm taking away carbs because I need to punish myself to do better. But what if we flip those around and use positive and negative reinforcement? So if I have the the negative thought that I'm, uh, you know, I'm a bad person for eating that, the positive reinforcement for something like that could be that mindful awareness type of thing. Oh, you know what? I always have this thought and it never goes well for me. What if I try something a little different, right? What if I give myself some agency to say, I've had a stressful day today. Like I like to pull people out of their own shell and say, what would you say to a friend right now? If you saw your friend doing this, you would say, you dummy, you've had an awesome 15 days. You're doing great. You've had a rough day. It's okay that you had some cake and some ice cream and maybe a drink out with friends. Like when I say that, it's like, oh yeah, there's no big deal there. And then negative reinforcement is probably one of the more powerful underrated things. And it's the removal of something to increase a behavior. So removing those thoughts um, can be very helpful to increase the behavior of, you know, of compliance to your goals, whatever it is. But uh, it's sort of like when someone gets into a car so you can hear them, you turn down the music, right? You're taking away the music to connect with someone. And so those are the four concepts of positive and negative reinforcement and punishment. But we like to use positive reinforcement the whole time from day one, And so that as we get a few weeks in, we've already built this environment where they come to see us and they're just so excited to see us, even if they've had a rough week. Yeah. And it starts out with, I'm sorry, I didn't do the things that I know I need to do for you. And then it ends up being, I didn't get the track this week because I had five, you know, homework assignments. My kids were sick. Like, oh, so life got in the way. It's what you're telling me. Yeah. Uh, How do you feel? So you didn't track, but what did you do? Well, I ate the same. I just didn't track it. Okay. Then maybe it's time for us to look at maybe not tracking as much. So kind of the reverse of that client I was talking about earlier in that instance, instead of tracking two days a week to get started, we want to leave you with a replacement behavior that you don't need to track. So, okay, you're, you're, you know, your numbers are going where they need to go. You've had a stressful time and you're talking this way to me 
very positively. Why don't we take two days off of your tracking then? Why don't we go ahead and take the two days that aren't busy like we did before, but now we're going to take those two days and not track and see how you feel. So we're going to listen to your biomarker feedback, right? How is your sleep? How's your performance? How's your libido? How's your hunger cues? How's your mood? All of those things are natural indicators. Before we had my fitness pal, we had our bodies. So let's go ahead and reverse those things and listen to them. It's all about balance and moving forward at the pace that we're ready for. That's it. And I find, I'm sure you've seen this too, but using reinforcement versus punishment is such a morale booster. Like nothing, yeah. I, I find that guilt and shame and judgment and criticism are not really great like fuel for positive change moving no. forward. At least That's, not with any nope. longevity. You're exactly right. That's not the, the role that we have. And I know some people, you know, it works for them. And so that's the thing. If it works for you, it, it works for you. But again, we're all about data. And science suggests that positive people are better to be around. Positive people, you know, it's um, highly effective habits are always like positive forward things. You know, happiness trap, the happiness lab, all these different amazing tools that are out there that talk. I mean, there are entire podcast books. I think the happiness lab comes out of either Stanford or, you know, one of the big Ivy league schools. And it was literally an experiment on how to search for happiness and, and how to search for meaning and how, and, and then it turns into this podcast and book and, all these other things, but that just goes to show you that that is way more important. And then I just like to ask the question, like, you know, you've always done the punishment thing. So what's that gotten you? You're here with me. You're paying me to teach you something. Why don't we go ahead and try the other thing? Are you afraid that you might enjoy it? Or are you afraid that if you succeed, you'll feel like you wasted so much time? Hmm. Because that's one of the big things that I, so we're, we're not afraid typically to fail because we're used to failure. Really what we're afraid to do is to succeed because we won't know what to do with it. And sometimes failure is comfortable. Yeah. If we're really honest with ourselves, it's comfortable to be where I know. And sometimes that's failure. And failure is not a dirty word. It's okay to fail. You should. I actually just did a post this morning about how I, I tried to, in January, I tried to do 75 hard uh, from a behavioral standpoint and kind of show flexibility within it because it's a very rigid platform. So that's why I chose it just to show, hey, you can do it and it's like 75 hard-ish. That's what I ended up calling it. I made it like nine days in because I ended up, um, a colleague of mine passed away unexpectedly. And it wasn't, and I said in the mor- this morning, you know, you have to have those gotcha taglines for people to watch. But my tagline was, I failed 75 hard and that's okay because my values weren't in alignment with it then. I wasn't about to push through and make myself miserable when I know myself how to, like, I'm not going to do something just for Instagram likes. Um, I'm going to do something that I like that gets people's attention. And with a three second culture, we've got thanks to TikTok. I need to be, you know, somewhat engaging pretty quickly and I'm still learning how to do that. I'm kind of a boring guy sometimes. So (laughs) (laughs) I do better in long form media like this, but, um, you know, then that's, that's my learning history. That's my honesty. You know, we don't have a a major following. We have a good one. I'm excited for the several thousand people that somehow like us, but you know, um, just like you, I can, I can imagine sitting back and thinking this many people want to talk to me and it's because we have something to share, 
right, Nicole? It's it's because you have a story and like what makes you unique is not precision nutrition level one and two. It's not a dietetics degree or a, a, you know any of those things. It's the fact that you as a person embody the ability to help somebody be better. And I find too, Clint, you might find this in our like 100K follower culture. I would much rather have far fewer followers who are so dedicated to the messy middle is what I call it. Like this lack of extreme, lack of binary thinking because they just have maybe tried the other way and it hasn't worked for them. Like you alluded to, or maybe they're just like, there's gotta be a better way. Like this, this just doesn't make sense when I try to line up with what I know to be true and how I've succeeded maybe in other areas of life. So I know it's not the sexy thing or it's not like the like clickbaity type of uh, content that we're sharing. It's real. Yeah. It's real. And I think real people are drawn to real things. You know, um, and not to say that it's bad to follow someone with a hundred thousand followers. You know, I, when, when I got to connect with Brad, I was like, oh man, this is so cool. But Brad's gotten his platform for being real. Right. You know, I, I was able to have, um, Sal DeStefano from Mind Pump, um, and another podcast in our space on my show by just reaching out to him. And, you know, I, I created a connection with them. I had a, another person from their podcast on my show and I just reached back out and I was like, hey, you guys covered this topic recently. Um, I'd love to have you on my show to talk about it. So it wasn't like, hey, come talk to my people so I can get more likes. Like, yeah, obviously we have we have this need to grow because we want our message to get out there. So we have to market. We have to do those things. But if you do so in a way that's just like, hey, I'm an expert. I need to be on your show. Well, good luck getting anywhere. But if you're a real person, that's like, I'll, t- I'll, I'll be honest with you. How I ended up on Key Nutrition, I'd been a listener for a while. And I got on because they did a Q&A episode like a few weeks before that I got on. And someone asked if they knew of any podcasts that talked about the like the psychology behind everything. And he was like, yeah, you know, Jordan Syed talks about it from time to time. Uh, I, Cody McBroom, I think. Uh, talks about it from time to time. And I just reached out to him and I said, Hey Brad, um, you know, here's who I am. Here's what I do. If that person ever reaches back out to you, I'd love for you to connect us so I can be a resource for them. I didn't ask to come on the show. I didn't, you know, and Brad was like, Hey, let's get you on the show. And I was like, Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I but love that. Any of the connections, you know, I, I, I give away everything. Like our podcast is set to give away all of our secrets uh, in long form, you know, the, as you know, people don't pay you for results. They pay you for a platform. Their results are driven by them. They might think they're paying you for results, but they're the ones doing it. I, I remind my clients that all the time. Listen, like if you pass or fail, quote unquote, by your own measures, it's not indicative of me as a coach. It's indicative of our relationship being somewhere that's more than helpful or less than helpful, I should say, yeah. you know, so then I guess then at that point that does reflect back on me as a coach. Cause it's my job to say, Hey, we're being a little too critical. We're being a little too rigid. So let's just, I've had weeks where I've had clients do nothing other than take five minutes to themselves to do some mindful journey, journaling, to have a cup of coffee without anything going on, put their phones down to just reconnect with themselves hmm. because sometimes the goals snowball too much. I'm sure you've seen that too. Yes. In fact, I'm, I'm sure you experience this on a daily basis, but what we do on our onboarding call is we give them one action step. Like this is the the one thing that you're going to do. And I know you, you speak out against trying to like tackle the whole kit and caboodle, you know, at once, make sure you're doing one behavior change at a time. 
So you're not overwhelming yourself and you're not biting off more than you can chew. Like we talked about a little earlier. And oftentimes those clients will be like, but like, I'm ready. I'm ready to, I'm ready to do all of it. What do you mean? You just want me to do this one teeny tiny thing. But when they come back, their confidence is through the roof because their compliance was through the roof. And they're like, bring me the next thing. I love this. So we even take it a step farther um, from that behavioral angle. And our first, even down to what we call it, we call it a connection call. Because when you connect with us, there's no pressure. You're not buying anything. We're not selling you anything. We're literally getting to know you for 45 minutes. And then like the last 15 minutes, we get to tell you about what we do. And if you're interested, then we set a date time. We get started then. Between the first, the connection call and the first meeting, I send out all the assessment stuff and you fill it out. And within the assessment, there is an assessment for your nutritional habits, like from Precision. There is an assessment of our own that talks about their, dives into their values. There's an assessment piece of the assessment that is a ready, willing, and able based upon whatever goal they want. And then there is a, we have seven pillars that we go through of, we call it like wellness as a behavior class. So, you know, if you want to be a a master of wellness, if you master these seven things, then you master wellness. And so it's um, all of our components. uh, We have a sleep component, a social component, an environmental component, nutritional, uh, movement, uh, water, and cooking. And so, or hydration, I should say, and cooking. Those are the seven Oh, I'm sorry. Not water. Stress. (laughs) Stress, uh, Water is in the nutritional part. We work on hydration along with with nutritional things. But if we're able to get all of those seven things together, then and if we're honest and we get those going, that's a pretty effective person. So we have a triage system. It's the one to five Likert scale that just walks through each one and says, where are you at right now? Here are some specific um, measures and where do you fall in these things? And then that gives us a starting point. So we take the values, we take those assessment results, and then we come to them and say, hey, this is where I think we should start based upon your responses. How do you feel about that? And then either they're in alignment or they're like, oh, I didn't communicate that well. So let's go ahead and look at that a little differently. So that's that's the long and short of how we from start to finish, it's based on someone's behavior and their background. I'm all in. I think that sounds amazing. That's fair. We have open spots right now. (laughs) I might take one of those. It sounds very cool. (laughs) Clint, two final questions for you. One is in addition to maybe biting off more than we can chew by trying to, you know, transform all seven of those pillars at once. Are there any like major red flags that you see from a behavioral perspective when it comes to trying to create sustainable fat loss that are immediately, I don't want to say kisses of death, but basically set us up for failure? Are there any things that we should avoid doing? Yes. The biggest one that I see is the misunderstanding between a caloric deficit and a caloric restriction. A caloric restriction is a 1200 calorie diet. That's a, that's just an example, but I see that all the time. And just for fun, go ahead and Google what a toddler should have. My son is one. He should be eating 1000 to 1400 calories a day. You listener are not one years old. Eat food. Um, that's all I can just leave it there. But a caloric deficit is calculated, right? Even, even though, as we know, Nutritional science is still a guess, but it's an educated one. So if I give you a macros uh, profile based upon your height, age, weight, sex, movement, and preference, that's a lot better than giving you 1,200 calories and saying, go for it. 
but we're going to look at your, and then we, we take that a step farther as well. And before we start, we get a baseline of where you're actually at. So I have a macros profile that I don't let anybody see until I get that baseline. So we don't give it to them right away. We get a baseline of where they are. We show them where they should be. And most of the time, we need to reverse diet a little bit. And so the first thing that we typically do with everybody is just, we don't take anything away. That's the thing. We don't restrict. We add in protein. All I do is just have somebody add in one unprocessed bit of protein per day. And then that behavior starts to shape because, oh, I'm, I'm feeling, I don't feel as bad. I don't feel as bloated. It's because all the processed junk that you're eating, the processed junk you're eating is now not eat. You're not eating it as much because you're not hungry and you're noticing. But so they notice it themselves. See, we have that built in. I don't have to tell them I could, I could tell them, but what's, what's the value in that if they're not experiencing. So that's the, the biggest thing is the difference to me, the difference between a caloric deficit and a caloric restriction. And the other thing is fad diets and quick results. Both of those things, they'll work and that's the problem, but they'll work and they won't be sustainable and you'll do them again and again and again. My advice is to invest into a coach that's worth it, like Nicole, to get you somewhere sustainable so that you don't need a coach again. Because our, our job is to never work with you again. That's it. That's that I tell them that in the connection call. I want to work with you once and I don't want you to need anything again. We don't have you pay for any apps or any subscriptions. We're going to use what's free and available. And then we're going to take those away because you're going to know what to do. Right. That's it. So calorie restriction versus calorie deficit and avoiding those fad and quick fix. Solutions, uh-huh. if you will. Yes, right. Solutions. <laughs> I would echo that 100%. I, I don't have any um, discrepancies with your answer. I think awesome. there's a lot of commonality between our coaching philosophies. And it has uh, just been so refreshing to hear from you about some of the behavioral side of things, because I don't think this is something that a lot of people in our space uh, put a lot of time and attention into. And no. I find it fascinating. Same. I know you find it fascinating. So at least the two of us had a great time today. But That's I know all we need. <laughs> our listeners will love it as well. Clint, for everybody who is tuning in and would love to learn more about you, would love to soak up some of your content, your podcast, where can they find you online? How can they connect with you? Pretty easy. Everything is on behaviorchef.com. Um, we're at uh, behaviorchef on the socials. Um, you can email me directly, clint at behaviorchef.com. Tony is the same. We have a general email, thebehaviorchef at gmail.com. And um, the coolest thing I think we have going right now is a, um, a free, um, I have to say free because some people have you pay for access to their Facebook group, but we have a free Facebook group of 3,500 people um, just doing this whole wellness thing. And that's where we interact a lot. And we give a, we, we do posts every week about a specific topic. We ask questions, we give resources. We're in there with you. So if you're interested, I think Nicole, actually, you just jumped in here recently. I did. To yeah. Our group. So yeah, she can attest. Hopefully it's, it's, it's helpful to you. And that's, that's all we want to be is we want to be helpful to you. And we want you to get to a place where you can eat some pizza and take some data. That's, um, that's it. Amen. I am am so excited to be a part of your Facebook community and I can't wait to continue learning from you there. I'm going to drop all the links in the show notes below so everybody else can be a part of your community as well and get access to your free stuff. This is awesome. We do ask for emails. You don't have to give them, but we just ask if you want to be like, we'll let you in without it. But if you, if you want to be part of our email list and just kind of get our direct stuff, we, we put a lot of resources, podcast episodes, and um, just 
thoughtful things into our emails that go out every couple of weeks. So we'd love to have you, but it's no pressure. Clint, thank you once again for coming and sharing your expertise and your knowledge. I really appreciate you. And I'm so glad that we were able to connect. Me too. Thank you for the opportunity. And we got to do this again. Yes, definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. If you like what you heard today, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and then head on over to nutritioncoachingwithnicole.com where you can sign up for my weekly emails where I send out my favorite tips, tricks, advice, and support every single Monday morning to help you kick your week off right. Thanks for listening. Until next time.